This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyze the beats of the changing environment from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I am Audrey Tan and my guest today is Dr. Yong Ding Li, Flyways Coordinator at the Asia Division of BirdLife International, a conservation group. So Ding Li, the world has been abuzz with climate change news recently and there have been many scientific reports that have pointed to how global warming could affect water and food supplies and also cause temperatures and global mean sea level to rise. So we are all quite clear about how all these impacts will impact human communities. But can you just tell us a bit more about how climate change could actually affect wildlife and natural ecosystems? I think climate change can affect the world in very complex and diverse ways. And broadly speaking, as the world continues to warm up, we can expect that climate change will drive up the global temperature. We can also see that climate change will influence the distribution of rainfall patterns around the world. Uh, also, more broadly, we could expect climate to change the intensity of the storms that we have in the world. And I think just not that long ago, we saw some of the most powerful hurricanes in history that happened in the Caribbean. So that was Hurricane uh, Dorian? Dorian, yeah. Dorian, ha- yeah. Ha- yeah, that's right. So like it pummeled the Bahamas. So what, was there any impact on wildlife? I think the hurricane that struck the Bahamas was... Uh, as we know, one of the strongest ever to strike the Bahamas. We obviously saw from the news that there were widespread damage with huge losses incurred. But from a biodiversity angle, we also saw that the natural environment of Bahama is now very much damaged by the hurricane. And from what we know, there are a number of species, in, uh, bird species in Bahama that prior to the hurricane was already precariously clinging on to survival. One of this is the highly threatened Bahama nuthatch It's a bird that's only found on the Bahamas. So even before the hurricane struck, there was not that many of them left. But we now think that with the hurricane uh, hitting the the islands with such a strong impact, we think that the bird may potentially be extinct. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's quite bad news. But I mean, have there been similar instances also reported closer to home in Southeast Asia? Closer to home, we have not yet seen any examples where a single storm event, a very powerful storm event, has triggered the you know potential extinction of any species. But closer to home, we see that there's lots of changes in biodiversity patterns around Southeast Asia. One of the most obvious change, and many naturalists, bird watchers would obviously appreciate, is that bird species, especially on mountains, uh, we see that a lot of bird species are slowly shifting their distributions up the mountains or down the mountains. This happened also because as, as, a, as the world warms, uh, we could expect the temperature to change at different elevation of a mountain. But one study that I was involved in many years ago was looking at how different bird species were changing their distribution on Southeast Asia's tallest mountain, that is uh, Mount Kinabalu. And we found that quite a number of species have moved a lot of distances up the mountain because the mountain is getting warmer than before. And while Kinabalu is one of the best examples of this, we know that other studies, more recent studies, have also found similar patterns in other mountains in Southeast Asia and across the world. Wow. So, okay, I mean, like, climatic drivers have such a big impact on wildlife, right? I mean, just from the examples that you have been sharing with us. But do human activity also compound the impacts uh, on these uh, groups of animals and plants? 
I think human activity has a very large impact on plants uh, in many different ways. So, of course, the most obvious ways is that through our activities, we are we are pumping lots and lots of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. This is because our economies are now driven by still largely by fossil fuels, and as as these greenhouse gases continue to enter our atmosphere, it will continue to you know f- uh, fuel the changes in temperature uh, around the globe. Um, it may seem to us that changes occurring over a short time span is quite minimal, like uh, 0.1, 0.2 degrees, but over time that adds up to quite a substantial amount. And as we know from the science, we know that as the Earth warms up, it's going to disrupt our climatic patterns. Rainfalls will change, uh, temperatures will change, and with that, plants and animal communities will change. There are quite a large amount, I would say a very large amount of studies that has been done by our colleagues in Europe, China, North America on how climate change is influencing animal communities. I mean, examples have shown that migratory birds, for example, when they arrive at the places where they breed in spring, uh, they arrive at uh, a bit later or a bit earlier and th- this is no longer synchronized with the, the availability of the food that they need. So their survival has been affected by, by these changes in their migratory patterns, which in the first place was was uh, driven by climate change. Mm, okay, but other than climate change, uh, what about things like development? Uh, does that pose an additional stressor? I think development com- poses a very major stressor on our biodiversity. For example, development, whether for agriculture or for you know expanding our our urban areas, is causing natural environments to be more chopped into smaller and smaller pieces. We call that habitat fragmentation. So animals are now stuck in smaller and smaller areas of habitat. They are no longer able to find each other in this fragmented world. In the coastal areas, uh, we also see that due to inland development, coastal wetlands are shrinking and as, as sea levels continue to rise over the next 100 years, we can see that wetlands are shrinking because the sea is you know, drowning parts of these wetlands and the wetlands cannot migrate landward because of human development. Oh, okay. So it's like on both sides, it's yeah, like double whammy. Yeah, stuck, you know, technically, for the lack of mm. a better expression, between the devil and the deep sea. So tell us more about your work at BirdLife International. I mean, is climate change something that uh, you guys are tackling also? Climate change is a, is a very important priority for BirdLife and we see it as mainstreamed into many of the different conservation activities that we do. Um, so, for example, in relation to renewables, in relation to greenhouse emissions, in relation to how birds are affected by climate change, quite a, a large number of different issues. We see that climate change has a major role underlying those conservation issues. In the in the Asia office, which is in Singapore here, my work is mainly focused on the conservation of migratory birds in the Asia-Pacific. So we work very closely with local people, with government agencies, to develop initiatives to conserve migratory birds. And that's, this we do in different ways. For example, um, in China, in Korea, we work closely with decision makers to, to shape the policies that we believe are best able to conserve coastal wetlands, which are a very important habitat for migratory birds. Also noting that coastal wetlands are further threatened by rising sea levels in the next century. We also work with local researchers to better understand how uh, birds migrate and figure out what are the places that 
uh, important to them. Uh, we know now that even though there's already a lot of science on bird migration, we know that there's some huge, very large gaps in the Asia-Pacific region. So uh, we are working with researchers in Europe, in China, to put transmitters onto migratory birds to track their movements across the world because knowing their movements will also help us to figure out where are the places that are important for their survival which then in turn help us to make decisions to conserve those places. So your title now is Flyways Coordinator. So what is a flyway? Was it what you're referring to, you know, the string of uh, habitats that migratory birds stop by as they fly from north to south? So you could you could think of flyways as analogous to a highway. So on the highway, we have cars moving up and down the highway. Flyways are basically a collective of migratory routes of birds fl- moving between broadly similar regions. In our part of the world, in the Eastern Hemisphere, a lot of these migratory birds, of which we have more than 500 different types, they move from northeastern Asia and the northern parts of Southeast Asia to Southeast Asia, and many more of them, they actually fly further to Australia and New Zealand. So when we we try to link up this region that is shared by this 500, 600 different kinds of birds, we usually define it broadly as the East Asia, Australasia flyway. Wow, okay. So now, if you like what you're listening to so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pals on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or even on Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation on how climate change can affect wildlife with Dr. Yong Ding Li, Flyways Coordinator at BirdLife International. So, um, Dingli, like beyond your work at BirdLife, what do you think are the important actions that countries can take to, you know, reduce the impacts of climate change on habitats and also their human communities? I think um, that we have already seen, I think kudos to governments around the world, we have already seen quite a lot of good action, progressive action in relation to climate change. Um, I think the most obvious of these would be the recent momentum to sign and ratify the Paris Agreement. And that treaty has already subscribers from the, the vast majority of the world's country. So by and large countries have already um, agreed to implement the treaty. I think the challenge right now is that countries will keep to what they have promised that they will do, that they will work with companies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But we also know that uh, a major challenge is that, you know, as, as governments in different countries change, the political direction may shift, sometimes in favour of the environment, sometimes not in favour of the environment, as we have seen in some countries. And that, of course, would present with to us a very formidable challenge in tackling climate change. I think what is uh, particularly notable in the Asia-Pacific region is that China appears to have taken a very strong and resolute stand on, on climate change and they have committed to big changes in reducing greenhouse emissions, in environmental protection and in coastal wetland conservation. So the momentum is there and we hope that the, the political winds will help to keep it there for the next 10, 20 years. Uh, we see that in Europe there's been also massive movements to promote and create greater awareness of climate change and I think all these are big steps in the in the right direction. So broadly speaking, the best thing that countries and companies can do to you know reduce the impacts of climate change would be to cut their emissions in the first place. Cut down emissions through a variety of mechanisms to shift our dependency on 
currently on fossil fuels, which still dominate, I think, more than 60% of the global energy breakdown. Lower that move towards renewables. Many countries are already doing that. In Asia, India and China are leading on that front. We also need to think broadly about climate change and many countries are already trying to prepare their coasts in relation to rising sea levels. But while we are trying to you know, prevent the rising sea levels from inundating our cities, we also need to think more broadly about biodiversity. Don't forget that we have coastal wetlands right on that interface between land and sea, and we need to make sure that there is action to keep those wetlands where they are. After all, the wetlands, they they store up a lot of carbon. We need to keep them there. So, I mean, coastal wetlands are kind of nature-based solutions that can help us overcome sea level rise and also preserve biodiversity. I think coastal wetlands are some of the most important weapons against climate change, for the lack of a better word, weapons, Mm -hmm. because they stock up huge chunks of what we call blue carbon. They also help to reduce the impact of strong weather events like storm surges and things like that, which means that to, to tackle climate change, we need to ensure that our wetlands are there to buffer us from these developments. So to you, what do you think is the value of protecting birds and nature in and of themselves? I mean, like some, some people might, might find value in just knowing about their existence, mm-hmm. but for people who, you know, who have no connection with nature, how would you tell them um, what do you think is the importance of pre- preserving nature? I think in bird life, in, in my organisation, uh, we see that uh, wild birds are essentially, you could call them messengers or barometers of the environment. Because birds, after all, there are two things that we need to realise. They are found pretty much everywhere on the planet, from the poles to the tropics. And at the same time, they are responding to environmental change. So by continuing to observe birds, we are actually able to take the pulse rate of our changing earth, from which we can then you know, push out the, the right conservation initiatives. And on that basis, we have to continue to conserve birds because they tell us a lot about environment. More in a societal kind of way, we also see that birds are important to our culture. I mean, humanity has appreciated, has observed, has studied, has captured birds in art for a long, long time. They are integral integral to our societies and cultures. And I think that is another added impetus for why we need to conserve birds as well as their environment. And then there has been studies also in many countries to show that conserving nature and biodiversity within our environment helps to promote human well-being. There's a long and pretty strong argument as to why we need to conserve birds in general. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I think that was quite interesting. I mean, now we all know where the phrase canary in a coal mine came from. I think we probably added um, one more layer to that argument, yeah. to that point, yeah. So thank you, Ding Li, for coming on the show. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you very much for this opportunity to share about birds and why we need to conserve them in a changing world driven by climate. So that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.